This is a Pivotal Conversations podcast. Slight adjustment from last week, a bit of a disaster. I thought I could get away with a lapel mic. And for those of you who listened, uh, we're hoping that this is some better quality. Uh, And plus, I like wearing these things. It always makes me feel, I always feel like I'm on Top Gun. Like, you know, the movie Top Gun? Like, I always feel like I'm flying. Like, I wouldn't say I'm flying a jet. Okay, stop talking. I feel cool. I feel cool when I wear these. I, I feel cool. Episode two of the Revamp podcast. Let's go. All right. So on today's episode, I'm joined by Andrew Gosen, who is somebody who is absolutely dominating the online fitness space at the moment uh, from everything to running his own uh, seven-figure company to coaching and and, and helping uh, fitness pros when it comes to marketing their business uh, and inevitably scaling it. So he's somebody, as I said, who is just absolutely crushing it right now. So that's a a really cool conversation that I'm really looking forward to you guys uh, being able to listen to and and gain some insight from. but what's happening? What's happening in the industry right now? What's uh, what's capturing my attention? Uh, and I've been doing some research. Uh, the the COVID nineteen environment is something that is highly intriguing to me. It's something that I'm I'm definitely um, it's capturing my attention. It's something that I keep thinking about. What's going to happen in the future? What is what's the future of the fitness industry? You know, what's it, what's it got in store for us um, and, and where's the industry going to go? And uh, I wanted to just first of all bring to, to start this off is just to bring some pretty alarming stats to you. Um, and the first one is, is that 70% of uh, customers haven't returned to their gyms uh, on average across the world. So that means that obviously when gyms shut down across the world, 70% of people haven't actually made their way back. Um, Australia is actually a little bit better. So Australia alone is 52%. uh, And obviously in Victoria, we aren't open yet. But for me, that is an alarming stat. It tells us that People have been able to, first of all, they're scared, right? Like we can't move, we can't shy away from that is that, you know, it's a, it's a different environment. People may not feel comfortable coming back yet. But what we've also seen is the fact that they've been exposed to uh, what else is out there. You know, they've kind of gotten out of their routine and had to, they've been forced to adapt in a sense. And when I say forced to adapt, I actually did some research and I searched people, I looked at like a Google Insights and the stats tell us that the searches on Google for home gym or gym equipment far outweigh the searches for gyms near me. Now, that may seem very obvious to you, but that tells us that people are adapting. People are changing the way they're thinking about their fitness in the environment because they have to. They're being forced to adapt. The everyday gym goer who who makes training and exercise a big part of their day is adapting and seeing what else is out there because they have to. They don't have any other, uh, there's no other way for them to engage in fitness or exercise like they previously were. 
The other alarming stat, right, is that 30% of trainers haven't returned uh, to their gyms, right? So what we're seeing is big chain gyms are shutting down um, and 30% of trainers haven't uh, re-engaged and gone back to their gym, uh, which is another alarming stat. It means that we're seeing that uh, the, the fitness industry as a whole is really being forced to adapt here. Um, so I want to take a look at this and I'm going to go, if, if people are forced to adapt, that means they have to adapt in some way, shape or form, which means that, you know, we're, we're giving people, people are getting an opportunity to try something different, to build a home gym, to, you know, uh, and, and some people are doing that. That's why a lot of the members aren't coming back. They've got their own gym and they're going, hang on, like I can actually build this in my garage. I can actually do this. I can actually, I can actually get away with this. You know, um, my investment, you know, instead of paying a thousand dollars a year for a gym membership or you know however much that you pay a gym why don't i reinvest that um in my own equipment and potentially you know save myself a lot of money across the journey and and only because people have to that's the only reason that it's happening right but what's the insight here and and what's the insight and the first insight is that i think technology right is it's coming much quicker than what we first thought you know, um, if we look at the future of the fitness, the way I look at the future of fitness is I go, okay, there's things such as mirror and tonal that I want you guys to go and research in the States. And basically what they are is mirror is like a mirror that sits on, it's like this virtual mirror that sits on the wall um, that literally can put you through workouts. Um, and it's this, it's like a fitness um console that sits on your wall and it's like virtual reality and you can they've got all these different workouts on there there's one-on-one personal trainers through there and then you've got tonal which is like a built-in plasma tv that has uh it's like a console that has many different workouts many different um sessions you can adjust your weight uh virtually um and then it's got these pulleys right which is like um you know like a cable machine uh, and all these different attachments um and you can increase the weight by simply clicking a few buttons on your TV screen. And it's really interesting because, as I said, what I did is I went and searched home gym equipment or gym equipment, home gym, sorry, and then gym equipment in context or, in, I guess, in correlation to uh, gym near me. And, and it seems as though that the searches are far outweighed, which means people are thinking about another way of fitness. And for me, this is just where... Um, that's just where the fitness industry is going to be in 10 years. I think that the fact that people have been forced to adapt, you know, the acceleration of technology is the, the drive home factor here is the, the really key point that I want to focus on is because this is being forced. And then Lululemon come out and they go and invest a, a heap of money into Mirror, which tells us that they also believe one of the fitness industry's, uh, you know, most reputable brands is now investing into what they believe is going to be the future of the fitness industry and I think that's where we're heading I don't think you know I think the fact that gyms are being shut down um, for large amounts of time it doesn't help right it means that people are going to start to have these different ways of thinking uh, or different uh, methods of exercise especially for the the everyday person you know it may not be the same for uh, you know it may not be the same for the 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 power lifters and and all of these kind of things like the the professional ones or the people that are really really into to it because obviously um, you know you need a certain skill set and a, you know certain equipment for that but I think for for the majority right what we're going to start to see is that technology is going to accelerate uh, and that's going to really start to bring 
the future closer to us. It's going to be quicker. Um, and, and for me, that is the future. Why? Because it's algorithmic. It's AI. It gives people data inside. It gives these companies data inside homes. Um, and, you know, think about it this way. If people are going and investing in home gyms and they realize that they can work out at home uh, and save money, the same, like, you know, the, these um you know, like I, I go, okay, well, maybe virtual reality is going to come in. Somebody's probably going to come up with a pair of goggles that, you know, tells us and gives us, um, you know, the ability to exercise in virtual reality from our, literally from our living room. But the, the step before that for me is obviously tonal and uh, mirror and what could happen with technology there. But you can literally have somebody come in, set it up like the click of a finger. It's not big. It doesn't take up a lot of room. It doesn't have to go in the garage. You can literally put it in your living room. And especially tonal, having the cable pulley there and then the weight being, you know, the fact that you can increase weight quite easily without having to have more plates and more room and all these kind of things is just quite incredible. So that's definitely where the industry is going, right? But, uh, and, and again, the fact that Lululemon's invested there tells us that they believe that's where the future is going as well. Um, but the thing, I guess, you know, technology is where the world is moving. And for me, this doesn't mean that you need to be like a lot of people are thinking that uh, COVID is saying that you need to go online. And I just think that you don't need to get caught up in that lie. Like online coaching has been the buzzword of the last five years. It hasn't been the buzzword and it won't be the thing that the adaptation that you need to make over the next five years. Going online is old news, right? That's what the people want you to believe. That's what the marketers want you to believe. They want you to believe that you have to go online because that's what they're selling, right? It's sexy, right? But for me, the next five years is going to be about acceleration of technology. It's not going to be about going online because going online is just a certain method of delivering your coaching. For me, it's the acceleration of technology and that will create a uh, less friction in the way you deliver your service. The ability for you to create scale and to deliver a service uh, with you know little friction through the acceleration of technology is what's going to happen over the next five years. This is a little prediction from me. Um, you know, <laughs> this is a little prediction. I think that the next five years is going to be about technology acceleration um, based upon what we just talked about. And I don't think that you need to fall for the lie that is online coaching is what you have to do. I think it's about service delivery because the way I want you to think about this is that you know, we're going to go through some economic impact here. The economic impact is going to force people to put their hands in their pockets, right? Now, if their hands is going, their hand is going in their fucking pockets, they're not going to want to spend money, which means the the companies that are up to date with technology that have less friction around their service are going to be seen as a premium product. They're going to build trust quicker with their, their audience. And what we're going to see is that the fact that they're building trust, the fact that they're seen as premium, we're going to see... Um, um, the the gap, right? The gap between the the top of the industry and the mediocre of the industry start to grow, and that gap is going to who is in uh, which one of those sectors is going to be based upon who capitalizes on the fact that the next five years is going to be about technology acceleration and not just about going online. Okay, so that's the opportunity. That's where you guys can start to capitalize. Is that it's not going to be about going online. It's about capitalizing on the fact that technology 
technology is going to accelerate and those that are open to it and stay up to date and keep their finger on the pulse of that technology to create a premium brand, to create a premium service and to be perceived as premium, to push brand up and create trust, they're going to be people that get trusted and in an, eco- in an economy that is going through either some type of depression and, and even recovering from a depression, I really think that you're going to have to be seen as premium and you're going to have to have a lot of trust with your audience. So that's my that's that's my prediction. That is my prediction. Uh, okay, and, and I want you guys to remember that when it comes true. <laughs> um, all right, but it, yeah, it's just about capitalizing on that. That's the industry insight. That's where I'm seeing everything go. I think COVID's going to be an accelerant. I think it's going to accelerate things forward. Um, from everything I've been listening to, which is you know a lot of the experts that I listen to and a lot of the research I'm doing, especially when I looked into the data and the insights, it does tell us that the people are being forced to adapt and they're being exposed to something that's a little bit different. Uh, and I think that is going to be the fact. And then again, technology is going to be extremely accelerated over the next five years because of COVID Um, and that's going to be what you can capitalize on all right guys stay with us Uh, we're about to jump into the interview with Andrew Gosen all right guys we're sitting here with Andrew Gosen is it Gosen Yes, Gosen, that's it. Got it right. Got it right. I, uh, I had Charlie on the podcast last week and um, I got his wrong and that's weird because I've known him for so long. Um, uh, you know, you always kind of use first name basis, but I'm glad I got it right. We're, we're off on the, on the right foot. Uh, welcome to the podcast, man. Yeah, thank you for having me, Carl. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, I suppose it's the first time we've ever met, but uh, I've heard a lot about you. Yeah, yeah. And, and same with you. Um, where does this podcast find you? So you're in Sydney, is it? Yeah, yeah, just in Sydney, the Northern Beaches. Awesome, awesome. Well, I'm in, I'm in Melbourne. We're still in a bit of a lockdown at the moment. Um, I feel like I'm saying this every week uh, and I'm not sure when it's going to stop. Hopefully not too soon, but uh, Sydney seems to be um, a, a, a more ideal place to be at the moment. Yeah, it does. I think we're pretty lucky here, like in comparison to what's going on down there. So pretty grateful for that. Awesome. All right. Well, I want to dive into this because you're someone who uh, I think um, is making some waves uh, in business at the moment, but also in the fitness industry. Um, you're doing a, a lot of different uh, things in the industry at the moment. Do you want to just give the, everyone a bit of an insight into what exactly you're doing at the moment and a little bit, of, I guess, about your, your history? Yeah, like we're, we're, do, we're doing a lot. Like we really are. We've got three separate businesses that we're working on. Um, the first is called Hypothyroid Body Transformation. Um, we help women who um, are struggling with um, their thyroid in terms of losing weight. Um, how I got into that myself was that I have hypothyroidism myself. I was working in a gym, in a fitness first, um, big box gym. And off the back of that, like I just ended up with a whole lot of clients who had thyroid problems. And I really found that, you know, for most people, they want to help other people who have gone through a similar thing to themselves. So, you know, the um, early starts, 5am, getting home, 9pm at night, you know, that wasn't a lifestyle that I wanted anymore. So I made the decision to go online. Now, when I initially planned on going online, it was very much based on, I'm going to just go online. I'm going to make a thousand bucks a week and I'm going to travel the world for the next two years. But then, you know, Um, you know, the opportunity became too big and the chance for me to be able to scale that business, you know, was just, you know, 
it was just there. It was in front of me and realizing how much opportunity there was in the online space. Um, after that, the other businesses I have are Master Your Menopause. So exactly the same business in a lot of ways, but we're really helping um, women who are struggling with uh, menopause and weight loss again. And then, of course, we've got Systems by Design, which is our coaching business where we teach people um, exactly the same model that we use in both um, thyroid and menopause. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I think the thing that I pick up there is both of the business are extremely niched. Um, I, it's obviously something that I see a lot, um, and I'm sure you would as well, is that that's, I guess, the... There's a lot of fear that comes uh, with, you know, I guess when having that conversation around really dialing down your niche, how, how important do you think that's been in, into, I guess, initiating or amplifying the success of both of your companies? Well, I think initially it was huge. Like we were lucky enough that we had such a strong niche at that time. I don't think there was anyone doing weight loss for women with thyroid problems. So it was kind of a bit of a blue ocean at the start. Like I literally turned on an ad and I was getting leads for 30 cents into a seven day challenge um that's wild yeah yeah. that's that's wild (laughs) you can't not make money right and that was just the thing like with my understanding my nutritional background what we were able to deliver like at the time i was terrible at sales call i'd just kind of call people up and be like hey do you want to keep on going um you know it was um it was just pretty much we delivered value in a seven-day challenge people Mm. liked enough i was relatable enough um, I was so bad on camera, but in many ways it was good because I just pick up the camera, talk and just, you know, talk from the heart, talk about my own experiences and share that. Awesome. And so you said that at, at the start, it was a big factor. What are some of the factors that you think have probably changed since then or that, yeah. you know, um, I, I think naturally I, I, I would say that from an outsider looking in or, or even just, you know, from a, with knowledge in, I guess, business itself, you would kind of say that the fact that your other business is called systems by design is also the other thing that um, leads to, to scale. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that? And, and I guess the role that that plays in after you've niched down. Yeah, look, I think that niching down is super, super important um, particular start for cheap leads is you don't have to niche down, but it gives you this huge advantage. Like the way that I approach business at every level is it's just purely a mathematical equation. You know, you go in there and you work out, okay, well, what's the cost of a lead? Now I'll give you a bit of an insight into what we're doing with our business right now. We've been running thyroid ads for three years and we've been pumping them. Like we're spending in excess of $20,000 a week on ads. And when you do that over and over again, eventually you start to, you know, really saturate that market. Um, When I say saturate, it just means the lead cost goes up to the point, like I said to you before, we're paying 30 cents per lead. We're now paying more like $5 per lead, except we have all the systems in, in place at the rest of our business that still make that profitable. But what we're actually doing now is we've created like our business really is called the 4% club. That's what we're going to move into. And the reason we call it the 4% club is that 96% of people um, who attempt to lose weight fail and regain the weight. So, you know, it's not really about thyroid anymore. It's actually about the 4%. And what we're planning on doing is we're going to be introducing a number of different brands. So within the 4% club, we're going to have thyroid, we're going to have menopause, we're going to have diabetes, happy hormones, you know, bikini bodies, you name it, we can do anything. And we're all funneling people in the same place. And the way that we're going to be able to manage that and the way that we're going to be able to scale even bigger and like take over Australia in the entire health, health market is we're going to have 
the ability to get cheap leads in all of those markets and go back to get those dollar leads again, go back and try and get those 50 cent leads. And as soon as that happens for us, because our systems are so in place throughout the rest of the business, it's just going to explode. I got a bit of a question for you. Cause I mean, I think then a lot of people, when they think about advertising, right, they, they tend to, I guess, in my opinion, skip this step, which is brand. And you just mentioned the word branding, you know, we're going to launch three four four brands. And again, from the outside looking in, especially somebody who's probably in their infancy in business, naturally what we think is, oh, I'm going to run some Facebook ads or I'm going to get into this. This is, you know, it's guaranteed to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I mean, the thing that I see the most when, when dealing with business owners and is that they, they obviously skip that step, that the fact that they're, they're trying to just jump into advertising without actually having a strong enough brand. What, what emphasis do you place on brand? You know, when you are, say, launching these different products and, or services and, and, you know, is it something that you see as well where you see um, they're obviously the skipping that step where we're placing huge emphasis on brand. Cause for me, like I look at brand and I go, okay, you, you notice that there's some people out there that may not advertise. They just might have big followings. Um, and look, that's a different kind of kettle of fish in itself. But I think that what brand really allows you to do um, when you focus on brand, obviously allows you to scale on, on a much larger scale. Um, and then obviously if you, once you have a, a strong enough brand or, a, you know, you create enough clarity around that brand, your advertising compounds in a sense, you know, you get obviously better returns on investment there. Is that something that you've seen and, and what kind of emphasis do you place on brand um, before kind of diving into obviously the, the, the advertising that you guys run for your businesses? Your brand is absolutely everything. Um, like I'm in the lucky position that I've coached so many fit pros now and, you know, like, I break down, like I'm such an analytical, mathematical person, and I break down what's the difference between person A and person B. And it is how effectively they're running their brand. Um, Now, um, I'll give you a bit of an example. Um, For us, we've got, um, you know, women with thyroid problems. It's so clear. We call our business hypothyroid body transformation. Everyone who sees that business name knows that we help women with thyroid problems lose weight. You know, and then you go with something that's a bit more generic, you know, like a lot of people will call them a business name, something that doesn't really make sense. So like, if you call yourself, say, I would call my business, Andrew Gosen Fitness, you know, unless I've got a big following, it doesn't make sense. And people have to buy into you. And particularly when you've got no brand and you're starting up, you might want to name your business after yourself, but it just doesn't work. So I do have a recommendation for anyone who's starting an online business. Don't try to make your name sexy. Just go out there and make, tell people exactly what your business is. And if you do that, that's just such a huge win. Now, I've seen, you know, such a diverse range of people doing totally different brands. And, um, yeah, I think that if you can really nail that down, spend some time on it and really, really think about what it is that people need. And, mate, I just I can't, I can't stress enough how important it is. Yeah, hundred percent. It's something that um, uh, we kind of teach a course. We the course we just finished is called. Uh, we kind of play it on the fact that it's defense, and it's funny because like we put brand in in our defense category because because of that exact reason. We think that a lot of people just kind of skip that step, and and branding is so much more than just logos and and these kind of things. It's like branding is obviously the shining light, the guidance system for the business at all point in time. You know, it's it helps with capital allocation, helps with you know. Um, 
you know, the hiring process it helps with. Uh, and then obviously the, the, the things that are quite obvious, like advertising and these types of things. But I mean, it's, it's good to hear it from someone like yourself, who's obviously, you know, you, you, you are in the advertising game in a sense, or the marketing game. Um, and I think it's good to hear it from someone like yourself where it's like, it's not just, Hey, I'm going to put some money into some ads and it's going to work. It's like, there's a lot, there's a, there's a few steps that you have to kind of get under control and, and uh, create clarity around before you dive in. And I think, I mean, I don't, I, as I said, I'm probably not as much in the, in the marketing and advertising game rather more like the education side of it. But do you see that with the results, um, like I guess with marketing and advertising that the, you know, the cost per lead or the cost per acquisition is, you know, is obviously a lot higher with people that don't have a strong brand. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Like, you know, we have all the systems in place in our business. Like, you know, I like to think that we run a world-class operation. Like when we help people in our program, we give them our exact ads. You just have to fill in the blanks. We give people their, um, the many chat flow because we start conversations. We give people our landing page. We give people the follow-up sequence to make sure that they can actually um, get through the system. But so that people are being followed up before they jump on a call, we give them the sales script. But the difference between success is that brand because everyone has the technicals. I give people the technicals. All they have to do is copy-paste. But it comes down to that person and how they put themselves out there. Now, back to your original question, 100%. If someone's brand is strong, like, you know, they're going to have a far better result. Like, you're kidding yourself if you don't think that people click on your business name before they actually go through and um, look at, um, you know, actually click your ad. Like I'd say, you know, you're probably looking upwards of 70%. So you've got to treat your business page like a landing page in that people are going to go there, check you out. You've got to have more links that take you back to that original offer that you're running ads for. And I don't even post too much content on that page. I wrote more so I'm redirecting people from that page to elsewhere. Mm. I think it talks to the fact as well, like, you know, I kind of, we teach like obviously pre-purchase, purchase, purchase, post-purchase. That's where you've kind of got, that's where you allocate your capital. And that's how obviously you deploy strategy. But I think it also talks to the point where, you know, purchase, if you look back over the years, even with big business, like, you know, Apple investing a lot of money into their stores, you know, uh, you look at it like what an online, I guess, coach, whatever, whatever it is that you're doing, if you're online, your point of, uh, your point of uh, acquisition or point of sale is your website. It's your, it's your, you know, your Instagram page, your Facebook page. It's all of these types of things. And I think a lot of the time we can, it's, it's kind of what advertising as well, right? It's like when you're advertising, uh, the landing page dictates whether people are actually going to convert. You know, if, if, if there's a problem with the landing page or it's not something that creates clarity in the minds of the people that you, you know, you're trying or your audience, then at the end of the day, you, you, you're not going to get the, the huge ROI that you potentially could. And I think that, you know, it obviously gets looked over the social media side of it, the Facebook side of it, you know, is there friction when they land on the page? Is it creating clarity? Is it all driving them to one place or, you know, and these types of things, I think that's, that's obviously a big part of brand. And I think we can, you know, I, I see it as well is that there can be a lot more, I guess, you know, capital invested into that sector of, or that, that kind of um, sector of um, branding in a sense. Uh, Cause it just plays such a big role in advertising, but also just in, uh, if somebody lands on your page, what's the message you're trying to send? You know, if you're trying to, if you're selling this big premium service and, and like you said, a world-class business, but then they land on your landing page and the website doesn't work or, you know, it takes them three to four minutes to find that website. 
uh, and you know the the quality is is not there then there's obviously a, a misalignment in branding and that's what creates the friction and and then obviously cost per acquisition goes up or or demand you know won't be there yeah and i think like you know the big thing with this it comes down to trust right um, and that's the biggest difference between um, online um, business and a physical location is, you know, in a physical location, at a physical location, if people are upset with you, they can come into a gym, they can check you out, they can talk to you. If mm. they're upset, they can call the police, they can throw a brick through your window if they want to. Um, but online, people need to, you need to build a relationship over time. There's some, you know, there's some stupid uh, line that I got from somewhere that people need to see you 16 times before they'll buy off you. Um, which, you know, there's probably a lot of merit to that, you know, in saying that, like, you know, you can actually build this trust with someone very, very fast, mm. you know? So it's like your branding is strong. So they might see you over time, but one of the big things that we do is we really make people see us over and over in a short period of time that builds a lot of trust very fast. How do you, so when you say over and over again, is that through advertisements? Is that through touch points outside of that? Is, you know, how do you, how would you, what are some of the ways that you do that? Yeah. So I suppose, um, at, you know, we've got a lot of different strategies, um, that we do that. Like you can run, um, retargeting Facebook ads where you're just constantly sending the same group of people testimonials. That's one way of doing it. You can send people to a seven day challenge. They're forced to log into that seven day challenge every single day, absorb your content and go from there. Um, the method that we're using at the moment is that we send people to a very, very good landing page, hits all the pain points. And for us with thyroid, people just go, it's almost like they see the page and they go, I'm at home. These people need to help me. There's no one else who can help me with hypothyroidism. I have to do this right now. And you've built up that level of trust very, very fast because they you know, know who you are. Now the next, so I like to think of that, I call that a conversion tool. You've got conversion tool one. So we take people to a landing page or we take people to a seven day challenge. After that, what we do is we have a conversation with them one-to-one. -one. We use many chats. So you're having a conversation off your Facebook business profile. And that conversation is, you know, we have a full script that's very, very specific that we take people through every step. And when you have a really, really meaningful conversation with someone, when they've seen enough about your business, that's so powerful. And the way I think about this is you, you have to think about that conversation online. Like, uh, could you close that person for $1,000 online? And if you could, yes, then you can send them through to a phone call with your salesperson. Now, you're probably never going to get that, heart, that, that level because people won't respond enough, but you're building that trust, they've told you a little bit about themselves. Big thing is, as a conversation, you tell the person a little bit about you because that's how you build trust. And then all of a sudden, you know, you've got a person who is senior staff, likes who you are, they've then had a conversation with you, they think this guy's good, and then they're actually going to go, um, you know, they book a call and they actually show up because of that conversation. Do you... Do you, so just within your business, so from what I'm kind of gathering, do you spend a lot of, and let's, let's talk about capital as money. Let's talk about capital as human capital and uh, softwares and all of these kind of things. Would you say that the majority of your investment goes into pre-purchase? So things such as advertising PR or majority of your capital from human capital to money spent, all of these types of things goes more into uh, purchase and post-purchase. So point of sale, like the sales process itself and then obviously post-purchase the quality of the service and the, the delivery of the service where where would you say the i guess if we're looking at 
the uh, if if we're saying that there's a, a bias to one side or there's a bias to a particular, um, I guess, side of the fence, which which would you which would you say your businesses lean to? Yeah. So with the systems that we've got, like um, we're pretty well refined with our customer fulfillment side of things. Um, we've got a system in place that really works and our big goal is just to scale and scale and scale. So nearly all of our capital goes into the acquisition side of things. Um, you know, and that's only because I feel so confident with what we do on the fulfillment side of things. And it's just kind of like every time we spend money uh, on our ads, you know, we bring on more salespeople and I'm a sort of person that's just like go and go and go again. And, you know, as a result, we don't necessarily take too much profit out of the business. We're just always looking at making it bigger and bigger and bigger because our goal is like, you know, we want to take over the world in the health and fitness space. Well, you got to do that, right? Like this is the push and pull relationship between growth and margin. You know, like it's the, I think that's, that's another thing. Like I would say, you know, initially when you, we kind of asked that question at the start, it's like, okay, what's the, we'll talk about scale and how there's a fear to scale. And I think it's because making that transition from, I guess, sole trader working alone in your business to then, you know, where all that money is yours in a sense um, to then going, you know, maybe I'm working at a five to 10% profit margin and I'm continuously reinvesting capital earned into the business to grow it. And I think, you know, if you want to capture market share, if you want to kind of really start to obviously, become world renowned and, and capture the market share across the world, then, you know, you've got to have that, I guess, mentality where you're re- reallocating capital continuously into scale. And I think that's probably the one thing, you know, if there's, there's a lot of listeners out there that are going to be listening to this and they're going to be like, okay, or they're kind of going to be at that point where they're ready to scale. You know, I think that's the, the re- that relationship between growth and margin is something that if you can learn that and, and understand it, you, you understand that really you, you know, you do need to reinvest capital continuously into the, into uh, your systems, into how your business uh, is run to create that scale, you know, hiring and, and not being afraid to pull that trigger because you've got a finger on the pulse with your finances, because you're really diligent in that area and you know how much capital you got to allocate the businesses, obviously as the, the revenue grows for the business, that whatever that percentage is in actual dollar figure, it will grow anyway. So I think, that's probably one of those relationships that you might be able to touch on. Cause I think the next question I was going to ask is when it comes to scaling your business, what's the most important thing? Like what's the th- one thing that you, you know, we're going to touch on that or that you would say that is it would one bit of advice that you would give to people that are looking and take that step to start scaling, because that's what, that's what business is about, right? Like business is about scale. It's not about growth. You know, it's not about, the, this, the money coming in, it's about scale. It's about, you know, how much output can we get from the fixed amount of input that we have from the, without me having to work my, you know, a hundred hours a week. And, and even though we probably still both work quite a bit, um, it's like, you know, scale is that thing where it's like, okay, I'm reinvesting capital so that we can have more output as a company, capture market share and obviously grow our brand on a much uh, larger scale. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very easy answer. Know your numbers, know your numbers, know your numbers. Um, like I know every single number about my business. You know, you can ask me all sorts of questions and I can give you the answers to them very, very simplistically because, you know, a big part of what I do is reflect upon those so that we can make the correct decisions for the business. Um, And, you know, that's probably one of the biggest things that I'd say, you know, a lot of our success comes down to making the right decisions at the right time. You know, you've got to like one of the things with our model is, 
you know, we often get people to pay over a 21-week period of time. So it puts us into a position where we could go negative cash flow if we're not taking enough money up front. And you've got to know that. I know that every single time we bring on a new salesperson working 40 hours a week, then it's going to cost the business $7,000 a week to make sure that they're full and they're getting 70 phone calls a week. So when you know that sort of stuff, you can figure out what you can do with your scale and you can, um, you know, all of a sudden you know what you can afford and you can do that confidently. That's the thing. If you don't know that you're sitting around there, should I shouldn't? And the reality is most people don't have a tendency to gamble. You know, you may have a family, you're sitting at home, but as soon as you get in that, you know, I, you know, for me, I'm the exact opposite. Like I used to be a professional poker player. I'm an absolute, absolute, like, you know, gambler. Like I under, you know, when I say that I understand the numbers, but I'm not willing to push the boundaries. And when I feel confident about something, I just go, I just do it. Well, there's, there's, there's a big difference there though, right? Like one's in a, like, think about it this way. You've got, you've got the, the poker player who sits, who's there, he's calculated, you know, he's, he's understands the numbers, he understands the deck. And then you've also got the person who sits on the couch and just bets on horses all day because he's addicted to his phone. He's addicted to the app and he's addicted to the thrill that he gets from gambling. And I think that for me is the perfect, uh, I guess, uh, metaphor or, or kind of story of the, the two types of business owners that you see, you've got the people that are calculated and they're taking calculated risks, knowing where their business is at at any point in time. So they're probably making less mistakes and they're taking risks, but they're, t- they're making less mistakes with those risks and mistakes cost you time and money. Whereas you've got the gambler on the couch, who's the business owner who, you know, is always in negative cash flow, always wonders why they don't have money in the bank. And then always wonders why they're, they're probably anxious about um, making decisions in their business. And it's because they're shooting from the hip, right? They don't, they're not coloring their, their, their lens with the right meaningful data that allows them to make decisions that are in alignment with their brand, but are also going to get them the best return on investment. And, you know, that's the, I think that's the big difference, right? You say you're a, you're a poker player. I think a poker player, especially the ones at the top of, of their game, they, they, they do take risks, right? But they understand that it's a calculated risk and there's meaningful data sitting in front of them, whether that's the deck, whether that's, um, you know, the, the, you're playing the man and looking at the person who you're playing against. And there's like a lot of calculated data that's coming in, that's coloring your lens and changing the way you perceive uh, the situation, which allows you to make a better judgment call. And, and for me, like, you know, we, as I said, we just taught a course, we call it steel on the walls. And basically that whole course is about, we call it defense in a sense, but it's about um, tracking, understanding cash flow on a, on a really large scale, tra- tracking meaningful data, building a brand that when you mix those three together that acts as it improves your judgment it allows you to make better better decisions that don't cost you you know time and money good decisions cost you time and money bad ones cost you uh, sorry good decisions make you time and money bad decisions cost you time and money so i think like that's a really good kind of point and and i mean again that that kind of gambling story or, or metaphor or whatever you want to call it really plays into that is that there's for me there's two types of business owners yeah 100 percent, and you know, like I think that people spend their time thinking about the worst case scenario, like what's going to happen. And they become fearful of that. And they just imagine and imagine, and it ends up resulting in paralysis, not making decisions mm. and not going anywhere. But when you actually really assess, like, you know, you go, what is the real worst case scenario here? You know, it's like you spend a hundred dollars on ads. What's the worst case scenario? You lose a hundred dollars, right? Go, you know, do a personal training session, get a hundred dollars back, right? Mm. Like it's people over like overthink what the worst case scenario is. But when you actually figure out what that is, it's actually normally not such a big deal. 
right? Like, you know, if I went and spent um, too much money on ads per week, I always just look at it and go, hey, look, like I'm not going to make no sales off that money. It's just I'm going to make less sales. Mm. And that's the difference. Like, you know, just what happened to me over the weekend, we've been paying $35 per, um, per booking that's come in. And then on Sunday night, suddenly we hit about $120. And I'm like, this is like three and a half times more expensive. And a person could look at that and just go, I'm going to shut off those ads. But I know that my profit margins are enough that I'm just going to keep on letting those ads, ads run at 120 bucks. And I don't care because I know at the end of the week that's going to, you know, balance out. But there's that sudden roller coaster, and business is a roller coaster. You're going to have highs and lows every single day. And if you're not willing to kind of, you know, acknowledge that, accept it, and enjoy the journey, it becomes very, very hard to be accept um, to be um, successful. Yeah, I think you know, as you said, it's a, it's not if but when, right? <laughs> that's the thing in business. It's like you're always that's that's almost what you're doing. You 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 kind of you're going to be you're going to reach decision points. Those decision points might be, you know, might even like even the other way, you know, when you're at your most successful or, you know, when you're kind of having a really good run, sometimes those are the times that can catch you off guard. Sometimes they're the ones where you make the bad judgment calls, you know, and this is what, again, knowing your numbers isn't just for the bad times. It's probably for the good ones as well. You know, it's when things are going really well, you want to, you, you don't just want to take the foot off the pedal or take your finger off the pole. You still got to, you know, a big part of um, my week is sitting down on a Monday and, and actually just doing a big review of all the data we have all the data we've captured, the numbers, what does, what does this mean? You know, how does this, you know, what, what, what are we trying to, what are our key outcomes for the next, you know, one month, three months, six months, 12, are we, you know, are we heading towards them and, and, you know, what do we need to adjust or optimize to, to get there? And it seems as though, you know, you're a big data man as well. And um, you place a lot of emphasis on the numbers, which yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I just think it's an absolute necessity for business owners. I think it gets overlooked, right? I think there's this, I guess this, perception as i said before you know uh, i think it was created uh, and you know probably over the last five years in the industry that you know you can just run some facebook ads and we're probably past that stage now you know i think right now you're at a stage where and, and you would know this right where advertising just continuously gets more expensive like that's just the game that we play on the platforms that we, we play it on but i think you know knowing your numbers and and again optimizing the processes to get those numbers down is a massive there's a lot of uh it plays a massive role in scale especially if you are putting you know you are putting money into advertising and you you're going to have a double there i think it's something that's a necessity yeah 100 percent. like with business i view it as a series of leaking taps and every element of that business you know whether it's you know your branding how strong is your branding the cost of um how much you're getting a lead through facebook right? Um, you know, the landing page that you're taking people to, um, your sales calls, your customer fulfillment, are people staying on with you? And, you know, what business is about, every single one of those categories is broken down to another category and then another category again. And you can actually go through, review every element and you go, for me, I come into my Monday morning meeting with my managers and I literally look at those numbers and I go, this is the leaking tap and this is how we're going to fix it. And then I give them goals and KPIs as to what they're going to fulfill that week to actually make sure that the business improves. Now, week by week, if I do that every single week and I continuously am tightening leaking taps every single place I go, that business improves rapidly. And, you know, you look back over the course of a year and go, I don't even know how this is the same business anymore because you've just taken so much action. Mm, mm. it's really interesting it's cool stuff what last question man last question um what is it that you where do you see the industry going over the next five years i think 
this is a really interesting question right now with everything that's going on from, I guess, coronavirus and um, gyms being shut. You know, there's a lot of trainers out there that are probably uh, not sure what, what, what's going to happen or where they're going to be over the next year or two years or three years. What do you think, what are the trends that you're seeing and what do you think uh, the industry holds for, um, for all of us in the next, say, you know, two to five years? There's always going to be a need for gyms, personal trainers. Like, I don't actually think that that's going to change. And I think that a lot of people, they go to gyms for exercise to enjoy that, right? You can have your nutrition and so forth. When you're talking about online, what you're doing is you're giving somebody an identity shift. You want to take them from where they are currently. You know, for the menopause is a great example. You know, in their 30s, this woman felt amazing. They had loads of energy. They go through menopause. They feel tired, exhausted, depressed. They've gained heaps of weight. And all of a sudden, what you're doing is you're taking, you know, that woman back to how she was feeling when she was 30 years old, mm. right? So a big part of this, a big part of the way that the business is going to shift is that it's going to get tougher and tougher online, in the online world. It's going to get really tough. But at the end of the day, this is just a mathematical equation. And you have coaches who are phenomenal, but it's never the best coach that makes the most money, Right. The best, the person who makes the most money is the best internet marketer. And because the business is, because the industry is going to keep on changing, it's going to become more and more competitive. The skill set you need to have a successful business online is to become an internet marketer. So unless you're actually refining those skills, unless you're learning Facebook ads, unless you're actually, you know, working on improving your brand, unless you're actually optimizing your landing pages, you're getting in a mathematical sort of mindset, you're going to be far, far behind. So that's why knowing your numbers is so, so much more critical and knowing every single number because people at the top of the game like myself are going to keep on winning because I'm going to keep on improving my ads and you have to bring yourself up to the level above everybody else. Do you think, do you think that there's a, I guess a, I'm just going to think, do you think that there's the, the positioning of that then or like I guess the, there's a place in the industry Cause like the way I look at it is, is it's all about premium, right? Like, you know, the thing that coronavirus is going to do, it's going to accelerate what was already going to happen. And I think that, you know, something that I see that I've put in some of the other segments of this, this podcast is that I don't think it's going to, like you said, I don't think it's going to take away gyms or anything like that. But what I think we're seeing as well, and even for online coaches out there that, you know, there's going to be an acceleration in technology. That's the one thing that COVID's going to do. It's going to accelerate technology because there's a new set of problems that we have to fix. And you're starting to see, like, if we talk more big business, you know, like Lululemon just bought Mirror for half a billion dollars. You know, they're investing in these home gyms, these things that you can put on your wall that eventually will become like a virtual reality trainer in a sense, right? So I think like what you said, you know, whether it's internet marketing or whether it's building a media team around you to create uh, that premium brand, the trust thing is going to go through the roof, you know, like the, the need for trust. And especially if we go through some economic struggles over the next couple of years, there's hands go in the pockets. Right. And I think that's the thing that, uh, especially over the next two years, if you're a trainer, an online trainer, um, the premium brand, the trust that you create is the thing that's, because cause now, as I said, you know, the reason it's going, the, the reason you're going to need that trust is because of these larger companies, you know, like if everybody's had the chance to taste something a little bit different over the last six months, you know, whether that's building your own home gym at home, whether that's, um, you know, maybe getting an online trainer, maybe it's um, 
buying a Peloton bike. Maybe it's something like that, you know, but the, everybody's having a taste of something different right now, which means there's market share up for grabs. But I think that the need for trust is going to be accelerated by those technologies. You know, if you've got a company who can bring, you know, and even just from a home gym perspective, everyone's gone out and bought home, bought home gyms. There's a company called Tonal who literally give you a, a home gym in your, in your home. It's a plasma TV that has a cable machine system in it that is driven by AI that you can change the weights and it goes all the way up to like 400 pounds or something. And it's like, you know, this is what, you know, although we don't naturally straight away think about this and go, okay, I'm These are my competitors. It's not about them being your direct competitors. It's about the perceived value, right? Like Netflix for every dollar they give you, apparently for every dollar you spend, they give you a billion dollars back in production. So, you know, on Instagram now, people's perception of what quality information is, has gone through the roof because of that maybe something, you know, because of the production that now Netflix are bringing. So it's kind of similar where although that Netflix aren't directly in um, competition with say an Instagram influencer, the perception of the individual, you know, and what they perceive as quality goes through the roof. And I think that's the thing that I see. I see there's going to be a big acceleration in technology, which means that you're not going to be directly competing against these companies, but the perception of what quality is goes through the roof, which means that the investment of capital into say, you know, as we talked about the website, the purchase experience, the, the, the trust that you build along that the service you deliver, no longer can you get away with um, doing nothing. No longer can you get away. You, you know, the, 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 over the next two years, there's going to be a mass. We've already got a big gap between the dirt and the cream. Um, and the cream is just going to accelerate a little bit further away. And I think that, you know, that's the biggest advice I can give people now is that you've got some amazing technology out there uh, and the, that's only going to accelerate now. So you've got to keep up with that. And then there's also obviously media, you know, media is obviously a big part of the world right now. Um, there's a lot more of it now from a social media perspective than what there ever has been. So I think that the fact that all of this technology is getting accelerated just means that, you know, you've got to kind of put yourself in a position where you're perceived as a premium brand. Otherwise you're going to have a hard time. Yeah. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And it all starts with the very basic back to what your business name is. That's the <laughs> simplistic thing for me. Make yourself something really simple that people understand straight away. That's engaging and making it something that sounds really good is often the worst thing that you can do. That's my, big favorite thing that I like to tell clients when they're starting their very uh, first, uh, when they're starting their online business. Awesome. Um, it's been a pleasure, Andrew. Um, you are someone that is absolutely crushing it right now in the industry um, from every, with everything that you're doing. Uh, I seem to only hear great things from everybody that I, I talk to. Um, so I just want to say a big thanks for coming on the podcast, mate. And um, just give everybody a bit of an insight into maybe where they can find you. Yeah, um, so the easiest way to find me is probably just to hit me up on um, Facebook, um, Andrew Gosen. You'll see my name there. Be easy. Um, it is me on my Facebook account if you're talking to me. You're not talking to a messenger bot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so when you do message and I reply, you don't have to ask me that. I'll be the one talking to you. Awesome. Uh, we'll make sure that the, uh, all the, the spelling is in the, uh, in the show notes and that everybody can find you. Thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Carl. It's been a pleasure. Class is now in session, strategy sessions, let's go. First question. Hey guys, my name is Luke Miller and I'm from Dallas, Texas. And I run an online coaching company called No Switch Fitness. 
where we have no off switch in pursuit of our goals. So I primarily work with physique athletes. Um, and as Kyle knows, I'm starting to get into more inquiries that are based around me being an educator. Um, a lot of my content is centered around bridging the gap between the academia education base and the application uh, base side of knowledge. Um, and my question is, what is the biggest pitfalls that you see for business owners in the fitness industry as they begin to wade into the educational space of fitness? Lukey Miller. Lukey Miller is uh, one of our clients, actually. So thanks for the question, Lukey. It's a really good question. Um, education seems to be, I think it's one. Of, it's, it's going to be something that's going to boom over the next, uh, I would say, five to 10 years. I think we're probably, you know, from the, the sources that I'm listening to, um, we're probably starting to see a bit of a decentralization of education as well. So I think that there's going to be some massive opportunities uh, where, you know, potential universities cities and colleges may not be as predominant as or I get the only way in a sense in the future that's probably a little bit further down the track but on a smaller scale I think we're going to see a lot more opportunity come into education and I think the fact that we've just gone through COVID where you're seeing people you know there's an inability to run classes or do face-to-face -face education so you're going to see technology from this standpoint really accelerate uh, on how we deliver education online i just think you're going to see technology go boom 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 that's my big prediction i think you know the 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 big key over the next five to ten years is how technology you know is the acceleration of technology and uh how the perception of the service you have to deliver goes through the roof you know um apparently this is what's kind of scott galloway has said but for every one dollar that you pay netflix they give you a billion back in production and and whether you like it or not you're competing with that that's where technology is and it's only going to get accelerated especially when now the education is forced to go into a, a digital space you're going to be forced to compete with that um so it's a really interesting space. There's a lot of opportunity there. But um, I think that one of the initial things that I see with this is that education, a lot of people get into education for the status. And I just think that what that ends up kind of, uh, it, it leads people down this false path of that education is a great business model. I'm going to go that into that in a sec because that's my second point. But I think the biggest misconception and trap that people fall into with education, everybody wants to be an educator for the status of it. You know, again, the educators of our, of our industry, the educators across the board are the ones who usually have the followings. And, you know, they're the ones posting the photos of being on stage, presenting their posting photos and videos and all of these things and they're the people people they're the they're the people that people follow i think so i think the biggest mistake that people make and and you know uh, i think we're seeing a big trend towards education is that um everybody does it for the status of it and i just think it's it'll lead you down this path that you don't want to go down or that not everybody's willing to go down if you look at the best educators in the business they sacrifice so much. Like I look at like the Eugene Teos, I look at like the Jordan Shallows of our industry and I say, not many people are gonna be willing to do what they do, you know, to travel around the world relentlessly for a long period of time. You know, Jordo's a good mate of mine. Um, and you know he's, he really sacrificed two years of his life to to actually travel the world and present. And I don't know many people that would be willing to do that, but 
the problem with social media is is that you don't see that you don't see the the travel you don't see the 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 uh, the time at airports, the living at Airbnbs, the, all of this stuff. You don't see much of that. You all you see is the the end result of him presenting in front of a crowd of people and the the, the following that he's built and all of these types of things. And the again, I don't. I just think that people are jumping into this for the status of it. I think everybody wants to be the educator purely because they want status. Um, you know, they're trying to they want to they want to build their self esteem in a sense. And I just think it's one of the biggest mistakes you can make because. To my second point, I just don't think education itself is a great business model. I really don't. I think, and what I mean by this, I've got to kind of talk about it. I think education is great for exposure. Education is great for building digital assets, which allows you to create economies of scale. Economies of scale is where I say, okay, when I, when I you know, this podcast that you're listening to now the first person, it doesn't take me any more time, effort or money for the first person to listen to this compared to the 1000s. So, you know, it doesn't, it's got economies of scale. We're becoming, we become more efficient, the more, uh, the more that people listen to it. So, I think education itself is a horrible business model. I think if your business model is built on seminars, you have to continuously fill the spots of those seminars um, continuously. Like, you know, think about it. For every 50 people that come to the seminar, how many people are going to watch you twice? And I just don't think it's going to happen. So I think education itself is a horrible business model because to do it well, uh, you know, even if you're just doing courses, you have to resell spots into courses. It's actually quite hard. Um, I think the beauty and I think the, the the good thing about education is the fact that you can build digital assets, which allows you to um, tap into economies of scale. I think that's where you can win. I think that's the opportunity when you can turn uh, your education. So, you know, the actual, not doing the seminar itself, but maybe the recording of the seminar into a reoccurring income. I think that's what we're seeing technology is allowing us to do um, I think you know when we can uh, turn our ed- the the education that we deliver into a recurring income um, especially when we understand what a recurring income is you know uh, when you have a recurring income with a, a client or a customer what it says is that they really trust you if they're allowing you to automatically take payment out of their account it means that they've built trust with you and that just you know that's that's a great business model um, so I think that when you talk about education I think the education itself the seminars the the, the classes, the webinars, all of this stuff, they're not a great business model. The great business model is a reoccurring income from that, however you generate that. But I think another big misconception that people make is, again, the status drives people to do it without there being perceived value there. You try to create a course and then just try to sell it without being any without there without having a brand or a following it's tough like you're you know for the amount of work you put in the and the effort that goes into it and the money you have to do on on production and that's the the final point but for that like it is hard to make it a successful business model unless you have a really good marketing team or you already have a really established well-known brand and following so i think that the status drives people into this where they're like oh, i just want like they they you know, they want to get into education because they want to be known. They want to be an industry leader. They want to have, you know, again, they're just it's driving them to, to get into status, the status of it. And there's no perceived value around it. So I think there's going to be a lot of pitfalls there for people. So I think that before you jump into it, you've got to create perceived value somehow. So that's either by 
um, you know, uh, maybe some advertising, some marketing, something like that, or, you know, maybe uh, building up your following or doing some education across your social media first and, and seeing if that your audience is tapping into that. Because if your social media following isn't used to you educating, all of a sudden you bring out a course, they're probably not going to purchase it. Uh, and if you're not getting massive engagement around that and good feedback, then again, you're probably, you're probably going to struggle to sell spots. So again, don't dive into it because of the status. Make sure that there's a viable business model there. There's perceived value around it. And, um, you know, if there is perceived value, then you can. And then, you know, things such as webinars, seminars, all these types of things, if you're going to do them, they're great for an experience standpoint. They're great for putting your mind to work and understanding concepts. But as a business model continuously, they're just not that great. Um, and then what you want to do is you want to create a recurring income from your digital assets. That creates economies of scale, that is the strategy. The final point here is production. As we said before, for every dollar you pay Netflix, they're giving you a billion back in production. You're also seeing now that uh, this is really, really interesting. So what you're seeing, I did a bit of research on this last week, um, but you, you're looking at across the board platforms such as Kajabi, Thinkific, um, Teachable. All of these have seen since January about a 30% increase. I think Kajabi's had the most. I think Kajabi's up at around 45. But on average, there's been about a 30% increase in searches on Google uh, for these companies. So what you're seeing here, right, is you're seeing that people, you're seeing a saturated market. Education is starting to become saturated. So what that's saying is, is that if there's going to be more competitors in the space, the thing that is going to really matter the most is production, right? Because we're not only competing against Netflix and all of these other companies that are, uh, have really great production. You're not only, you're not only. Um, you're not only competing against companies, uh, or sorry, you know, maybe uh, people and influencers that also have really great production, such as YouTubers, uh, you know, even some Instagram, uh, I guess, uh, influencers and these types of things. There, that that's where the world is going. Technology is accelerating forward, which means production goes with it. Now, production is going to be really, really important because. People are going to expect that, and I think the biggest misconception that people are making is that they would uh, they would rather spend money in advertising than production, uh, and you know they're, what they're going to end up having is um, they're going to have a course, they're going to have a, a you know this, they're going to be using. Um, Teachable, Thinkific, Kajabi, but they're going to be going up against some of the best in the world, and they're going to be go and and production is going to be so important. I think that if you're going to get into the education space, you've got to understand who you're coming up against, and it's not just other educators. It's where the world is. Where is the best in the world when it comes to things that we watch, and that's what we do in online education. So production has to be there. It has to be super high quality, premium quality. Otherwise, what you're going to see is as the quality gets it's better, people are going to become less and less interested in your course and they're going to be disappointed with the course if the production isn't there. And I think that's the mistake that people are making across the board when it comes to media. Everybody's getting into media, you know, podcasting is going to be huge, education is going to be huge, everybody's fighting for the likes on Instagram. But the problem is, is that what that actually causes, because there's a need for status, is that the production just continuously gets better and better and better. So if you're not, if your production isn't there, you're just not going to have the success that you that you need. People are expecting production now. That's what people expect. That's what you need to deliver. So I really think that people should overspend in production, underspend in advertising, 
Um, you're going to need to if you don't have a following. You're going to need to advertise. Everybody needs to advertise. But I think production. I think like if we look at that, I think the biggest mistake people make is they jump into it for status. That drives them to make uh, the wrong decisions. You know, they're getting into it um, prematurely, or they're doing it for you know they're just they're just going to start making the wrong decisions because of why they've gotten into it. I think that you need to create digital assets. That's where the world's going. That's what the best in the business are doing. That creates economies of scale. That create allows you to create a recurring income from economies of scale and the last one is production if your production isn't there you're going to fail all right guys if you have questions that was a a big one so we're going to leave strategy sessions there for this week but if you have questions if you have queries if you want me to dive into some strategies for you um, that's what strategy sessions all about Um, we send an email out to our email list every day sorry every week where you guys can put questions and you can upload your files or you can simply record a voice memo introduce yourself let us know where you're from uh, and then ask your question or, or you know tell us about your business and what you want us to work through and shoot that to my email email at kyle at elitevitalitycoaching.com. All questions are welcomed. Um, We'll try to get through as many as we can every single week. Um, But as I said, thanks for the question, Lukey. It was was a great question. I think it gives a bit of insight because I think there's a fair few people that are trying to get into the education space at the moment. Stick with us, guys. We'll be right back with the arena. This is something that when we revamped the podcast, I wanted to make sure that we didn't go too far into the deep end of business without uh, touching on something that I think is really important to business, but not, not just business life. I think for me, building character, being in the arena, you know, this is all on the back of a Theodore Roosevelt quote that I love. I look at it every day uh, and I read it every day, but it's it's about putting yourself in vulnerable positions and putting yourself in a position where you have to learn lessons, uh, becoming vulnerable, but it's about getting in the arena, not pointing the finger from the sidelines. Um, And I think that has to do a lot to do with building character. And, you know, when I, so what I want to do with this segment is just, I guess, share some insights from some learnings that I've been through um, or experienced in life. Um, I'm by no means an expert at this stuff. Um, It's something I'm highly passionate about uh, and, you know, again, if this helps one person or it can change one person's day, uh, then it's probably good enough to put in this podcast. Um, but I've had a pretty big week, right, where we just finished teaching a course to 150 students and it's just such a fulfilling experience. I mean, when you put a lot of work into building this course and you really do hope that this course can change the lives of the people that you're um, delivering the course to and once it's all said and done you get a lot of feedback and you know you're almost drained but it's just such a a great experience and you know it's super rewarding and you know this week's been really really uh, different in the sense that I've I've been faced or I've I've faced a uh, myself being in a bit of a dichotomy where I feel extremely fulfilled but extremely empty at the same time and I know that sounds weird and it's not that I'm not grateful for the experience but I think it's just the environment that we're in and I want to I realized when I was reflecting on this and you could imagine this is just a really good time to reflect it's it's a feeling that I felt before and 
I guess I want to share this with you is about 18 months ago, I ventured over to Bali where I was, I was bound to experience one of the most enlightening experiences I've ever uh, been through in my life where I, I went into a seven day silent retreat, which I know that sounds pretty wild um, to, to some of you, but that was no talking for you know seven days. Uh, we were in a jungle, no phone, no laptop, uh, no contact with the outside world. And you could imagine that like all we're really doing is meditating, yoga, uh, and then I guess the only other thing that you can really do is spend time with your own thoughts and reflect. And... Uh, it was one of the most enlightening experiences of my life. But during that time, an insight that I gathered, or I guess when I was reflecting, I realized that for a lot of my life, what I was doing was I was so obsessed with business that I was neglecting the exact reason or the reasoning that I had a business in the first place. And you know, there's a lot of things that I was neglecting in my life. I hadn't spoken to my grandmother um, for a while, not for any other reason than I just said that I was busy. And it's like, what kind of fucking excuse is that? But there was these little things and I become so obsessed with my business that it was, I was forgetting the real reason that I was in business in the first place. I was so obsessed with growth and personal growth and self-development and my own journey of self-actualization that I, I forgot the reason that I was actually doing it in the first place. And that reason is connection and relationships. And, you know, I'd realized that I'd lost track of you know inevitably why I started which was people and you know right now I find myself in a stage four lockdown and it's the exact insight that keeps coming to mind you know I I place emphasis I place a lot of emphasis on growth and wealth but at the end of the day none of that is worth any there's no point having wealth uh, and there's no point growing if you can't celebrate and spend uh celebrate and spend time with the ones that you love. Like I guarantee you if every single one of us was given a choice right now into we could have $10 million, but we weren't allowed to see our friends, family, or we weren't even allowed to spend time with the people uh, that we deliver our service to as business owners. We, you know, we weren't allowed to connect with people. None of us would take it. Uh, or at least I would hope not. Um, and it just shows that none of this is really worth it unless we're, it's amplifying uh, and creating more uh, fulfilling and rewarding relationships. You know, I, I want to see my family right now. I, I want to hang out with my friends. I want to host live events so I can connect with people on a, on, a, on, a, on a much larger scale. And I know that that's not possible right now. But what I want and the insight and I guess what I, the drive home point is here is that when it comes down to it, human connection, compassion and empathy is what makes us human. That is why we are humans. That is what, where we find the most fulfillment. And I've experienced this insight twice now, you know, once uh, when I went on the, the retreat, the silent retreat in Bali. And now again, when, you know, I feel super fulfilled because of the experience that I've had, but it's also an empty feeling because I, I know that I'm not connecting with the people or, or spending it with the people that I want to spend it with. So I just wanted to, I wanted to share that with you. I wanted to share the, the, the inside and the experience that I've had this week um, because 
I never want to forget that myself. I never want to forget that the reason I do what I do is for people. And I want to make sure that you guys never forget that too, because if you want this journey of self-actualization and business to be fulfilling, then you got to remember that the reason we're doing what we're doing is for people. All right. That's that, that was deep. We're, we're, I don't want to end it on a sad note. I want to say a big thank you to every single one of you for, for listening and tuning into the podcast. Uh, you know, it's, as I said, we're, we've revamped it. It's, uh, we're hoping that you're really enjoying the new revamped version. But uh, until next week, guys, uh, stay safe, stay healthy, uh, and I'll see you guys next week. I just want to say a big thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the show. Uh, if you enjoyed the episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button. Uh, feel free to share us, share the episode with your friends and family, and feel free to leave us a review as well. Uh, you know, we all the support that we get for the for the show, and especially now that we've revamped it, uh, we're trying to bring something that's got a little bit more value. It's definitely appreciated. And if you have a question uh, for strategy sessions next week, you want us to take a bit of a deep dive and help you work through some of the roadblocks in your business, or you just want some help creating some winning strategy, you can shoot me an email at kyle at elitevitalitycoaching.com. But I'll leave it there. Until next week, stay safe, stay stay healthy, uh, and I'll see you on the other side.